It's a long passage, so if you can get your Bibles open and then you can follow along and you won't be lost halfway through. It's from the second book of Samuel, it's chapter 10, and talks about David continuing with his victories against uh, kings and uh, empires that were much, much bigger and much stronger and much older than his uh, little country was. But it talks about the power of God and how that is much better than any worldly support. In the course of time, the king of the Ammonites died and his son, Hanun, succeeded him as king. David thought, I will show kindness to Hanun, son of Nahash, just as his father showed kindness to me. So David sent a delegation to express his sympathy to Hanun concerning his father. When David's men came to the land of the Ammonites, the Ammonite commanders said to Hanun, their lord, Do you think David is honouring your father by sending envoys to you to express sympathy? Hasn't David sent them to you only to explore the city and spy it out and overthrow it? So Hanun seized David's envoys, shaved off half each man's beard, cut off their garments at the buttocks and sent them away. When David was told about this, he sent messengers to meet the men, for they were greatly humiliated. The king said, stay at Jericho till your beards have grown, and then come back. When the Ammonites realized that they had become obnoxious to David, they hired 20,000 Aramaeans foot soldiers from Beth Rehob and Zohar, as well as the king of Maacah, with a thousand men and twelve thousand men from Tob. On hearing this, David sent Joab one of, out with the entire army of fighting men. The Ammonites came out and drew up in battle formation at the entrance to their city gate, while the Arameans of Zobah and Rehob and the men of Tob and Maacah were by themselves in the open country. Joab saw that they were battle lines in front of him and behind him, so he selected some of the best troops in Israel and deployed them against the Arameans. He put the rest of the men under the command of Abishai, his brother, and deployed them against the Ammonites. Joab said, If the Arameans are too strong for me, then you are to come to my rescue. But if the Ammonites are too strong for you, then I will come to your rescue. Be strong, and let us fight bravely for our people and the cities of our God. The Lord will do what is good in his sight. Then Joab and the troops with him advanced to fight the Arameans, and they fled before him. When the Ammonites realized that the Arameans were fleeing, they fled before Abishai and went inside the city. So Joab returned from fighting the Ammonites and came to Jerusalem. 
After the Arameans saw that they had been routed by Israel, they regrouped. Hadadesha, the, uh, had Arameans brought from beyond the river Euphrates, they went to Helam, with Shobak, the commander of Hadesha's army, leading them. When David was told of this, he gathered all Israel, crossed the Jordan, and went to Helam. The Arameans formed their battle lines to meet David and fought against him, but they fled before Israel. And David killed 700 of their charioteers and 40,000 of their foot soldiers. He also struck down Shobak, the commander of their army, and he died there. When all the kings who were vassals of Hadadesha saw that they had been routed by Israel, they made peace with the Israelites and became subject to them. So the Arameans were afraid to help the Ammonites anymore. Uh, well, friends, in the moments when I remember uh, growing up, I uh, call to memory uh, going up in, growing up in this area in the uh, 70s and 80s, uh, my memories always lead me to exactly the same place. And it was the Chinese banquet house on the highway at Gordon. It's now a big legal office, uh, but that place was bl bright fluoro green and it had prawn chips to die for. It was actually the first place ever where I ate prawn chips of multicolour. And it was absolutely amazing. It might have been called the Great Eastern. Uh, no one's corrected me on that yet today, but I think that's what it was called. And apart from a black stump at Kalara and a really ritzy restaurant at Pimble, uh, there was nowhere else to eat out in the 1970s and the 1980s uh, in Karingai. And we would go with our cousins a couple of times a year and we would always order fried rice, honey prawns, Mongolian lamb, and sweet and sour pork, correct. Well done. Excellent. And the food was always awesome, every single time. As time went on, though, more and more cuisine started to make their way, spreading from the city out into the suburbs. And they started to pop up in local areas like this one. So it wasn't long into the 90s before you could have Thai or Vietnamese you could get some Italian apart from dodgy pizza from Domino's. Uh, you could get Greek, uh, you could get Indian, French, Turkish, Spanish, Mexican, and now even Japanese. It is amazing. There are so many options now in our streets and largely uh, that is due to immigration because with people came food and culture and all manner of things. And thanks be to God, because if we all had to eat meat and three veg until we were 80 years old, we would all wish we were dead at 60. Uh, but of course, it's not just food that came with immigration. Uh, with people came food, but culture and clothing and language and religion. And now, just a short walk around the village reminds you that we live in a very cosmopolitan world. The complexity and the diversity of this area is always in your face. 
and it's impacted schools. It's impacted workplaces. It's impacted the holidays that are celebrated. And there is something really delightful about all of that, isn't there? I, I love it. But don't let the cosmopolitan world we live in sell you a lie. You see, despite the myriad of languages you hear on the streets, despite all the different cultures you experience throughout the year, despite the different cuisines that you can smell in the shopping centre or walking down the main street, despite all the different styles of dress you see at functions, and the different religions you see being practised, perhaps even by your neighbours, despite all of that, there is only one Lord. There is only one God. And his name is Jesus. You see, despite all of our differences, everyone in the entire world lives either in commitment to the Lord Jesus or in contempt of the Lord Jesus. And that's it. Everyone in the world is in one of those two baskets. You're either committed to Jesus or living in contempt of Jesus. And Jesus himself captures this two-track reality in John chapter 3, uh, verse 36. Jesus says, Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on them. So whoever you are, wherever your family origins are found, no matter what cuisine you eat or clothes you wear, everyone in the world lives either in commitment to the Lord Jesus or in contempt of the Lord Jesus. Now gloriously and thankfully and marvellously, this is not new news. No, it has been out of the heart of God that he has been sharing this news with the world for Centuries and centuries, in his continued and constant kindness, God wants everyone in the world to come and to love him and be committed to him. He is constantly inviting people in and his arms are wide. And so he has come in Christ to offer forgiveness to the world. He does not punish us as soon as we sin, but he continues to bear with sin and bear with the sin of the world constantly and continually. He shows patience every day in giving everyone in the world every chance to come and know Christ. And Romans chapter 2 verse 4 describes this. It says to us in chapter 2 verse 4, Do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, forbearance and patience? not realizing, realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance. You see, God in his kindness is calling all people, all nations, back to him every day of the week. His incredible kindness in setting, sending his only son, the Lord Jesus, is intended to call people back into relationship with him to lead to repentance. And he wants to gather everyone under his wings. He wants to gather everyone under his authority. He wants to gather everyone under his love. And having shown his kindness in Christ, he is patiently waiting. He is patiently waiting for people everywhere to turn aside from their contempt and commit to Jesus as king. And so his kindness calls out every day, repent, come, Find life and find hope. 
through the cross, through the death and resurrection of Jesus. And yet we live in a world where many people reject his kindness. And it's really terribly baffling. For it is a terrible thing to show contempt for the kindness of the king. How terrible? Well, just ask Hanun, the Ammonite, or Hadadezer, the Aramean. Let's see what happens in 2 Samuel chapter 10. Uh, We're beginning at verse 1, and this is what we read. In the course of time, the king of the Ammonites died, and his son Hanun succeeded him as king. David thought, I'll show kindness to Hanun, son of Nahash, just as his father showed kindness to me. So David sent a delegation to express his sympathy to Hanun concerning his father. Now we're not told what uh, Nahash had done for David, but we do know the heart of King David. Uh, Last week in chapter 9, we saw that it was characterized by this intense kindness towards those within Israel who were his enemy, even to the household of Saul. And now in chapter 10, we see that David wants to show this kindness again, again to the household of his enemies, but enemies among the nations, among people out there. And it's not that he has some obligation to Nahash. He's not in a covenant. He's not in in a contract. But rather, David's heart here is overflowing with sympathy and love. And so he sends a delegation offering this kindness that is intended to bring about peace and a relationship between them all and commitment. But the old commanders among the Ammonites will have nothing of it. Continuing in verse 2, when David's men came to the land of the Ammonites, The Ammonite commanders said to Hanun, their lord, Do you think David is honouring your father by sending envoys to you to express sympathy? Hasn't David sent them to you only to explore the city and spy it out and overthrow it? So Hanun seized David's envoys, shaved off half of each man's beard, cut off their garments at the buttocks and sent them away. And no, I'm not putting a photo of that up on the screen, just so you know. But what I do want you to see is that David sends a delegation of kindness. And Hanun sends a delegation of contempt. And what was meant for peace is met by hostility and contemptuous scorn that brings embarrassing shame and ridicule upon David's men. They are deeply humiliated. They, are, they become undignified because of what's imposed on them as their beards are half-shaved and their buttocks are exposed to the wind. So how will David respond? Well, we might expect the full fury of David's wrath at this point. He is the king after all. But it's nowhere to be seen. In actual fact, what David shows is more kindness. Verse 5. When David was told about this, he sent messengers to meet the men, for they were greatly humiliated. And the king said, Stay at Jericho till your beards have grown, and then come back. See, to save them from further embarrassment, David gives them a place to stay. And it's a wondrous act of kindness and compassion to those who have sought to serve the king. 
and take his message of kindness out to the nations, but have been rejected and shamed. And I want to say, friends, that this whole episode is a wondrous reminder for us. Indeed, Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 that the Old Testament is written as a reminder to us, to teach us things. And I think this is one of the things that this passage teaches us. It is that there is every chance that even today, that when you take the kindness of God out into the world, when you stand up with the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ and walk out to share that good news of the death and resurrection of Christ with your friends and family and the world, there's every chance that you will be hated and scorned. And friends, this ought to come as no surprise to us. It happened to David's men. It happened to Jesus. And it happened to the Apostle Paul. And it will probably happen to you. Paul writes of his experience of mission work in 2 Timothy chapter 3. He says, You, however, know all about my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, faith, patience, love, endurance. It was going so well till that point. Uh, persecutions and sufferings. What kinds of things happened to me in Antioch and Iconium and Lystra? The persecutions I endured, yet the Lord rescued me from all of them. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will earn lots of money and have lots of houses. No. Everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus. Everyone who goes out with the gospel on their lips. Everyone who goes out to testify to the kindness of the Lord will be persecuted. You see, despite the magnificent kindness that, of God that is on display in Christ, not everyone sees it. And if you are committed to Christ and have his name on your lips and you spread that to the world, you will be persecuted. You will be harassed and shamed and criticised. That is par for the course. And more so in this day and age when Christian morality is said to be holding up the progression of true morality, of the new morality. In a strange turn of events, Christians like you and me are now the propagators of evil in the eyes of the world uh, as we oppose the sexual freedoms and personal freedoms and existential freedoms that are no freedom at all. And if you challenge the normalisation of homosexuality in our society... If you challenge the normalisation of transgenderism in our society, you will be labelled as evil and cancelled. Have no doubt. But this ought not surprise us. And it ought not stop us from speaking the truth of the gospel and of God's kindness because those who have carried God's kindness out to the world have always been mistreated. And so don't be surprised when your well-meaning gospel conversation becomes a beard-shaved, buttock-exposed moment. And equally, don't be surprised when, as 2 Timothy 3 verse 13 says, evildoers and impostors go from bad to worse. Because that's exactly what happens in 2 Samuel chapter 10 and verse 6. Uh, and so verse 6, and we read, When the Ammonites realised that they'd become obnoxious to David... They hired 20,000 Aramean foot soldiers from Beth Rohob and Zobar, as well as the king of Maacah with 1,000 men, and also 12,000 men from Tob. Now, I find that completely bizarre. What would any rational person do 
when they suddenly discover that they have become obnoxious to the most powerful king in their part of the world? What what does a rational person do when when they look at the most powerful king and they go, "Uh uh-oh, we have offended him? What do you do when you realize you've caused offense? You get a small delegation of people and you send them to that king and you say, oops, sorry, here's some new pants for the guys. We'll just back off over here. Let's all be okay with ourselves, but no. Do you notice that David's taken no action against them? He has an attitude towards them, but he's taken no action. David's done nothing. And yet he's shown kindness and patience and forbearance. But Hanun has gone from bad to worse. He doubles down by gathering not only his own troops, but a militia with which to attack the king. And it's only when we get to verse 7, when David hears about this, that then he gathers an army and sends an army out in response. And so the battle lines are drawn. The army is split into two to take on the Ammonites on one hand and the Arameans on the other hand. But before there is any action, there is this little briefing in the middle that I think is really important for our understanding of both God and what's going on in this passage. So from verse 11, Joab says to, his, to the other commander, Abishai, who's his brother who's in charge of half the troops and Joab's in charge of the other half of the troops, if the Arameans are too strong for me, then you are to come to my rescue. But if the Ammonites are too strong for you, then I will come to your rescue. Be strong. Let us fight bravely for our people and the cities of our God. For the Lord will do what is good in his sight. And those last couple of words are very strange words coming out of the mouth of Joab, who we'll see as the book goes on next year. We'll see he is a sometimes self-serving friend, sometimes a foe. Uh, But as people in the Bible often do, he speaks more than he knows. And indeed, he speaks pastorally here and lovingly to you and me. And for those moments when we face hatred and suffering and scorn, as messengers of the king. Uh, For here, the affirmation of that reality that the Lord will do what is good in his sight is the believer's firmest comfort, our firmest, firmest solace and support, our firmest consolation in the face of life's uncertainties, in the face of life's difficulties, and certainly in the face of opposition. Joab doesn't know how things will turn out, but he testifies to the reality that God is good and that God will do good. That doesn't mean he's going to make everything totally fine for you, but he's going to do what is good. That's the very essence of his character. It's what God does. And the reality of life under the God who loves you is that you can have confidence that the good God desires for you will always prevail. But he's always working for what is best for you, even when it hurts. Yes, God leaves us in suspense about many things. But we do not need to doubt his goodness towards us, for he has promised that to us. And this fuels our faith as we trust that God is good and that he always does the good he determines to do. And so when persecution comes, when we face an enemy, when we face any situation or threat, we can do so with a strength and a confidence that will endure the unknown because there is one who is with us 
who knows what we're going through and knows that he's working for good. He's promised to do good in spite of all hostility uh, from, towards the king and his message. And in the end, it is the death and resurrection of Jesus that announces that he will conquer his enemies and he will take everyone to be with him in eternity. That's the ultimate good that God has in hand for you. That's his promise to you. That no matter what, the goodness of the Lord will prevail and he will never abandon you and he will never betray you. But evildoers, well, they go from bad to worse. And Hadadezer, the king of the Arameans, the one who in the previous battle fled with his army when it looked like David's men were going to win the battle. If you were Hadadezer, what does any rational person do then? You've already tried to fight once against David. You've already seen David defeat the army that he was seeking that had come out against him. You've already sort of fled away from David. What does any rational person do when you've seen David defeat the army right in front of your face? You go up to David and you say, Oh, David! Can we be friends? But no, Hadadezer, he doubles down and revs up the troops for another go. Verse 15, after the Arameans saw that they'd been routed by Israel, they regrouped. And Hadadezer had Arameans brought from beyond the Euphrates River. They went to Helam with Shobak, the commander of Hadadezer's army, leading them. And this time, well, David is going to come out against this next army and he's going to strike down 40,000 701 men. From verse 17, when David was told about this, and again, do you notice the start of verse 17? David's not out hunting for battle. David's away. The king is away, patiently, bearing with this situation, showing his kindness. But no, when David heard about this, he gathered all Israel, crossed the Jordan, and went to Helam. The Arameans formed their battle lines to meet David. And fought against him, but they fled before Israel. And David killed 700 of their charioteers, 40,000 of their foot soldiers. And he also struck down Shobak, the commander of their army. And he died there. It's a little reminder at the end here that it is a terrible thing to show contempt for the kindness of the king. And that all who oppose him and his message of kindness will in the end be defeated. Have no doubt. The anger of God is real. And the wrath of God is real. And the judgment of God is real. And it comes on all those who treat the king with contempt. Just as it was with King David, so shall it be with the greater Davidic king, Jesus. For to treat Jesus as something worthless a despised king worthy of being disrespected is a dangerous thing. And yet it need not be a person's end. And friends, because God is showing kindness, because God is being patient with the world, because God is bearing up against the sin and the opposition of the world, that's why we do share life. That's why we actually seek to share the gospel with our friends and neighbours because the time has not yet come for God to bring an end to the world. And so there's still the opportunity for them to actually be brought by his kindness to repentance. And so we whisper the gospel 
to other people. It's why we send missionaries out to the ends of the earth because we want people everywhere to know of the kindness of the Lord because God still shows his kindness today and he's patient with us, not wanting anyone to perish but everyone to come to repentance. For The promise of God is that all among the nations who come to him will find peace. And that's just what happens at the end in verse 19. It says there, When all the kings who were vassals of Hadadezer, that is, sitting under his authority, saw that they'd been routed by Israel, well, they did something sensible. They made peace with the Israelites and became subject to them. They saw the kindness and the power and the glory of the king and that there is no other path worth taking but to come. Commit yourself to the king. And that is still the best course of action today. For yes, it's a crazy cosmopolitan world that we live in. But don't buy the lie. There is just one king. And he always wins. Forever and ever, Since the days of David, the kings and the rulers of the world, the people of the world have been hell-bent on resisting the Lord and his king. And so what we see in the world around us ought not surprise us. In fact, Psalm 2 seems to capture the narrative for life in the world. Let me read some of Psalm 2 to you. It says, Why do the nations conspire and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and rulers band together against the Lord and his anointed saying, let us break their chains and throw off their shackles. The one enthroned in heaven laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. He rebukes them in his anger and terrifies them in his wrath saying, I've installed my king on Zion, my holy mountain. So then from verse 10 The psalmist says, Therefore, you kings, be wise. Be warned, you rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and celebrate his rule with trembling. Kiss his son or he will be angry and your way will lead to your destruction for his wrath can flare up in a moment. But blessed are all who take refuge in him. It's a crazy cosmopolitan world we live in, but there is only one king, and he always wins, and his name is Jesus, and blessed are all those who take refuge in him. Amen. Hello, there we go. Um, we are going to have a time of Q&A now. Um, last I checked, we haven't actually had any questions come through. Oh. So if you do have a question, do that now. Um, you can go on to slido.com forward slash CCSI nights. Um, I love when there's no questions. I actually was going to couple last week's questions with this week's questions because the topic of both these passages are kindness. So I haven't done sermon extra from last week yet because I was going to copy them in together. But anyway, that's good. There you go. Um, in the meantime, though, I do have a question for you. Great. Um, you talk Why about... didn't you put it on Slido? 
Because I get the privilege of asking you the question directly. Fair. Yeah. I, I could have had the privilege of preparing for your question, but that's fine. That's Keep true. going. <laughs> um, for, you were talking about um, the cosmopolitan world and it telling us lies. Um, I guess as time goes on, it can often be hard as Christians to continue to maintain our commitment and motivation um, mm. for the Lord. I guess personally or um, from your experience um, in the Word, what do you think are some of the, the best ways we can continue to get ourselves out of that sort of rut of feeling like the world's all around us and we might be losing that sort of commitment that we should be feeling or feel like we should be feeling? Mm, yeah, uh, excellent question. Uh, I think um, uh, it, it's frustrating, isn't it, when the answer to a question is uh, Bible reading and prayer. But I think part of the answer to this question is Bible reading and prayer, right? Because God speaks to us through his word. Like when you actually read God's word, it's like you are hearing, you, it's not like you're hearing, you are actually hearing the voice of God. So you want to stay engaged with God and God's thoughts on the world and God's view of the world. You stay engaged with the scriptures and continue to stay engaged uh, with God's word. And to do that in a myriad of different ways, read the Bible yourself. If you're really feeling disconnected from God's mission in the world and, uh, and weighed down by the complexity of the world, that sort of thing, find a friend who will read the Bible with you, one-to-one. Uh, if, if you're doing that and you're in a growth group, uh, you know, you're reading the Bible... Uh, make sure you're really working hard at your prayer life uh, and, and talk to God and share with him. And he promises us that as we actually share our, our anxieties with him, that the peace of God that transforms all understanding will guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And so as we lay our burdens before him. Uh, and so I think it's, it's when sometimes we sort of go Bible, Bible and prayer and we sort of roll our eyes and go, yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we forget that actually we are hearing from the king and speaking to the king in those moments. And I find that sustains me. Uh, and um, on top of that, I would recommend that you, you actually just regularly get amongst God's people and, and tell stories. We need to create, cultivate more of a storytelling culture of the things God is doing uh, in our lives. And wouldn't it be great if actually each week there were some people who you were able to share stories from your last week of things that God's been doing and the way God's been moving and the way that you've seen God at work. And, and as we share those things, again, I think we're able to actually see before our very eyes the reality of God working in the world by his spirit. And that is amazing. So there's a couple of thoughts. Excellent. And I think, like I said, often the answer is Bible reading and prayer. And we do sometimes go, oh, but that's so obvious. Mm. But I think it's also great that it's not a really complex answer that we have to go searching for. Yeah. It's, it's there and there's so much goodness in reading the word because God speaks to us through that. Absolutely. I don't know if my phone's a bit slow, but I still haven't seen any questions come through. I'm happy with um, that. Are you happy with that? I am happy with that. Perfect. Um, will you be doing sermon extra this week? I will though? be doing sermon extra yeah. this week. So if you still have some questions, feel free to sling them my way either in a DM or in Slido, and I'll catch them this week. Excellent. Thank you Thanks. so much. Um, well, tonight we heard um, that... We all have a choice. We can either be committed to Christ um, or respond to him in contempt. Um, God shows us kindness. We all have the opportunity to accept that. Um, and we heard as well from the passage that um, the Lord will do what is good in his sight. So we can take heart knowing that when we choose to share God's kindness with others, that the Lord will do good. Um, that may not look like an easy life, um, but the Lord always wins. Um, there's one true king and he always wins. And that's a, a great comfort uh, and something we can take into our weeks.